Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello and welcome to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is the House Majority Leader of the North Carolina House of Representatives, Representative John Bell. John represents District Number 10, for those of you across the state. That uh, basically is Green, Johnston, and Wayne Counties. And if you're more familiar with cities, the principal cities, of course, are like Smithfield and Goldsboro. And uh, so at any rate, uh, John, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being with us. You have been, uh, as all of the members of the uh, General Assembly, have been very concerned with wrapping up uh, this budget process. And uh, the budget process basically is sort of interesting because the governor has a budget, the Senate has a budget, the House has a budget, and then somehow or another it's got to come together. So kind of tell us where we are, and and then you can more uh, specifically talk about where the House is in their process of looking at the budget. Well, it's it's a, it's a very interesting way to get to a final project um, on product. Uh, the governor comes out normally in uh, March, April timeframe. Once we get an idea of what revenues are, of course, they were pushed back this time with the um, pandemic going on. Uh, and, and, and we get our revenue numbers after tax returns are in. So, uh, so the governor puts forth his spending plan and it gives us an idea where his priorities are in spending for the state of North Carolina and how he um, would do it if, 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 it, was, if it was his, his way. Um, each biennium, the, the, house, uh, the House and the Senate swap who starts with the budget. This biennium, the Senate starts with the budget. So a few weeks ago, they released their spending plan and gave us an idea of the, the priorities there in the Senate and um, passed a bipartisan budget over to us. And so right now it's the House's turn to put together their spending plan. And we should have that done by the end of the month. And then we'll um, put it on the House floor and vote it, vote it back over to the Senate. And then the Senate will um, agree to not concur. And we will go to what's called a conference committee. And both the House and Senate conferees, which are all the chairs of the appropriations committees on both sides, will come together and navigate through um, the conference committee. And hopefully at the end of the day, we can have a conference report uh, that will be signed by all parties involved and the state will hopefully have a budget. Once we get that conference report done, it, it, it does go back and forth between both chambers for a final vote and then goes to the governor. And, and we hope that this year the governor will sign the budget. He has given all um, signs that he wants to sign a budget. So, so we're really working for, um, we're really working for, for, for all parties to come together to sign a budget for the state of North Carolina, especially in a year where, you know, if we were sitting here last year this time, we thought we were going to be talking about budget deficits for the first time in, in about 10 years. Uh, we were very concerned about sales tax revenue coming into the state uh, and what the pandemic did to businesses, um, both large and small across the state. But, um, but thankfully, the, the tax reform policies that we put in place many years ago actually got us through um, the pandemic. And we came into to this session with a surplus. Uh, as of last month, we were close to a $7 billion surplus just on the state budget side. That is not counting the, the, the CARES and ARP funding that has come on the CARES Act and ARP funding that has come down from, from Washington. So we're in a, a very unique situation where we have a lot of non-recurring dollars. And when we talk about non-recurring dollars, just so the general public understands, is that these are what we consider one-time money. So we have to be very careful how we spend that, where we plug that in, because what you don't want to do 
is put uh, non-recurring dollars into recurring expenses, expenses such as salaries and, 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 uh, and people. And so we're navigating through that. And, um, and it should be a really good budget when it comes out of the house. And uh, it's, it's our goal that all parties will agree and we'll put forth a budget that all parties can be, be proud of, hopefully by the first part of August. Well, as you said, I think uh, if this were last April, we were all uh, not only from the point of view of the state of North Carolina and the federal government uh, worried about uh, how the economy was going to shake up. We all thought that uh, the economy was just going to be in terrible shape and that we were all facing uh, certainly a, a period of a lot of uncertainty. Well, uh, it's turned out to be not nearly as bad. Now, there are those, as we can talk about, who have, of course, obviously suffered a great deal, and we have to worry about them. But uh, on the whole, uh, the stock market certainly held up, and that uh, uh, was good for people's 401k and things of that nature, which kept people from panicking, I think, a lot. So it's been uh, uh, sort of a a pleasant surprise if you were looking at where we were looking. Yeah, you alluded to this just a moment ago. If you were looking at, uh, say, last April or May, we were in a period of certainly a lot of uncertainty. So it's turned out better. It, it has. Uh, you know, the, the first reports we heard is that it could be a 7 or $8 billion uh, shortfall in the state budget. Then it got to be 4 to $5 billion. Then it got to be probably $2 billion. I felt like overall we were going to be in a lot better shape than 49 other states because of the tax reform policies that we've put in over, over the years. And, and when we looked at where the revenues were going to fall uh, as we moved into the new session, well, we started off with a possibility of an $8 billion shortfall and then it went to six and and then it went to five and then two. And, and when we got to the point to where we uh, felt pretty confident that we were going to come into a budget cycle with at least a small shortfall or maybe even break even in, in revenue. Um, we, we, we started planning on how we move forward. So, so um, the, the key items that, that we did along the way uh, a few years ago, we implemented the sales tax on, on internet sales. And, and that was really key, especially for a lot of folks using um, apps like Amazon and to, 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 to do the online purchasing during the pandemic. And then we built in a continuing resolution a number of years ago. And what that means is that even if we can't come to agreement with the budget, that uh, our government will continue to run and operate. And so you won't see the shortfall. You, you won't see the, 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 the shutdowns like you've seen in Washington and other states. So, John, what uh, the things that you're looking at at the House, what do you think are the key issues that you'll have to resolve to uh, uh, make everybody as happy as possible? especially with regards to salaries and, and pay increases? Well, you know, there has to be real expectations. On one, we do have a large amount of non-recurring dollars, which, which you know, like I mentioned earlier, means that you know, this is one-time money. So, so we want to do salary increases. We have to be very strategic in how we do that because those are recurring expenses. And so you may see um, bonuses for teachers and state employees. Uh, we may try to do small raises and bonuses on top of that. You could see on um, cost of living allowances, which would be bonuses for retirees. And, and so the, the salary part, we're hoping to be able to work through, which is um, are, are normally wildly popular. Anytime you, you add more money to people's check, they get pretty happy with that one. But um, the, the biggest and largest part of our budget, which represents about 57% of the state budget is education. And so we know we want to continue investing more in education. You're gonna see priorities made in broadband, expanding broadband all across the state. The work we've done 
and broadband up to this point has been frankly remarkable for a state our size to invest the amount of um, money in the the great grant programs to expand broadband connectivity all across our state. And then you're gonna see a big emphasis on infrastructure, whether it's water and sewer, um, building repairs, and really looking at our state infrastructure overall and how we grow as a state. An issue that has been, uh, I guess, sort of a concern for a long time has been the amount of money that's available for transportation because uh, uh, transportation income has been so dependent on gas, gas tax, which is by the gallon. And of course, cars are getting more efficient. And also you have electric uh, cars now. So how, how do you think we will move forward uh, either this time or during the future? to provide the transportation board with enough money to maintain and improve our roads. Well, that, that is that is a big project that our transportation chairs are, are, are really taking under their wing and, and looking forward to, to working on. Um, Representative Brendan Jones on the House side, uh, Representative Phil Shepard, Representative Frank Eiler on our side. And then you're looking at Senator Vicki Sawyer, Senator Tom McGinnis and Senator Danny Britt. Uh, all six have been working really hard to, along with industry, and and, uh, and the Department of Transportation to find out how we strategically fund transportation moving forward. It's just like you mentioned, uh, 10 years ago, we weren't even talking about uh, a lot of cars on the road being electric cars. And so we had to find a way to generate revenue from those electric cars. The gas tax alone cannot sustain our transportation needs. North Carolina maintains more roads in the state of North Carolina, uh, more roads than any other state in the country. And we wanna keep our standard as being a good road state. So we have a lot of work uh, to do there, and you're going to see a review of everything transportation-wise from DMV fees to, to, to looking at how we build roads to looking at the, the sales tax revenue off electric cars. Uh, all those are on the table, and you're going to see some of those roll out in, in, in the next few weeks. Well, that's uh, something that uh, I think is going to be very uh, of, of a lot of interest to a lot of people because obviously as North Carolina continues to grow, not only uh, do we have all these roads to maintain, but we're also going to have to have some new roads to handle the additional traffic as uh, North Carolina continues to grow. And speaking of growth, we we know that you've got redistricting on your agenda because we have added that 14th congressional seat, and uh, we, we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about that in another in another segment here. Uh, but the, the federal government, of course, is providing you with a lot of one-time money, which is uh, going to help a lot in the infrastructure. Correct. And, and infrastructure is key to the success of our state. And I've talked with a number of cities and counties that have received the, the CARES Act and ARP funding. I know that our transportation chairs, along with our appropriation chairs, are navigating through on where we can spend dollars. Because if we can repair uh, a lot of the infrastructure we have in North Carolina today, it's just going to set us up for future success 30 and 40 years down the road. Well, if you look back uh, when we started building all those, uh, we called them farm to, farm to, to town roads way back in the 40s. I guess Scar Scott is the one that started all that. And uh, we built all those secondary roads. And it's been a blessing for the state of North Carolina and helped to, to uh, uh, a lot of the rural state, uh, rural counties particularly, do, to have uh, good roads and good opportunity. And broadband, of course, you mentioned that because that's something that seems like it's almost unanimous that almost everyone sees the need for broadband expansion and uh, more broadband expended tours. We've been very successful over the last couple of years to, to provide broadband connectivity for all of our public schools in the state of North Carolina. Now we've got a challenge of reaching into a lot of our rural areas. 
Uh, we're seeing people leave some of the larger cities and want to move into rural areas. And in order to keep those economic development uh, ch channels open and to have people working from home and living in rural North Carolina, but maybe maybe work out of an office in Raleigh or Charlotte, uh, we've got to continue the, the push for broadband connectivity. And you're going to see hundreds of millions of dollars out of the state budget put into that this year as well. Well, we also want to talk about the, your special interest because you represent a district that is very heavy in military and, of course, the rural communities as well, and, of course, agriculture. So we'll, we'll talk about that. We want to talk a little bit about the name, image, and likeness problem that the state is, uh, along with the rest of the country, is going to face. And we'll do all of that when we continue our conversation with Representative John Bell, the House Majority, Majority Leader, uh, who represents District Number 10, as we said. And we'll do that when we return right after these messages. One in three adults in America have prediabetes, but most don't know it. To let people know it can be reversed before it becomes type 2 diabetes, professional basketball player Julius Randle is doing everything in reverse. I'm only dunking with reverse windmills. I drove the whole way to practice in reverse. I don't recommend it. This move's called the reverse shuffle. I do recommend it. And it took me months to learn how to speak in reverse, like this. <clears throat> Here's 10 almost for diabetes type 2 with living Ben has my mom. In other words, my mom has been living with type 2 diabetes for almost 10 years. So together, we want to say to the 84 million Americans at risk, exercise and healthy eating can help reverse prediabetes. Start by taking a simple one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. <laughs> Bet he can't say that in reverse. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them, but I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me, and my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Representative John Bell, who represents District Number 10 and is also the House Majority Leader. He's in his fifth term of representing uh, that district. Uh, and John, of course, I, you know, one of the things that you just can't beat is experience. I'm sure that each term you've learned a little bit more about the state. And uh, I guess, you know, probably one of the interesting questions we could ask you is, is this one. Uh, when you were first elected and you came in on your first term, what was the most surprising thing that you found out that was perhaps just a little bit different than what you were anticipating when you took office? Well, when you, when you sit outside of the, 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 the Raleigh bubble, uh, and, and you view the news media and you see Republicans and Democrats fighting back and forth, you, you actually think it's a very toxic and, and hateful environment and that people don't get along and they're always 
lobbing grenades and bombs at each other and, uh, and playing politics. And, and that's not the case. We're very blessed in the House of Representatives to have 120 representatives from all different walks of life, all parts of the state, all different backgrounds come together and really try to do what they think is best for the state of North Carolina. Most of the time, I would say probably almost about 85 to 90 percent of the bills that pass the House are bipartisan, a lot of them unanimous, because people have taken the time to work through those. It's just it's just that five to ten percent that, that makes all the, the news media and the clicks and makes the storylines. And um, but but there's a lot of good people. Um, the people are the difference. I have friends on uh, um, on the Democrat side of the aisle, me and uh, Representative Robert Reeves, who, who's a minority leader there in the House, are, are, are good friends and and support each other and talk. And uh, every time I'm going through his district, I call and tell him I'm going through and spending money there. And he does the same here. So it's the friendship and the bonds that you make across the aisle that really is really not told. And, um, you know, pe- people like to see the, the drama out of Raleigh, but they don't see the friendships and the bonds that are made. And that's not just in the House. It's also in the Senate and it's all throughout state government. I, you know, we do a lot more of agreeing than we do fighting. And that's why our state has been so successful over the last, uh, last decades. Another thing I think has always been surprising to me, and of course, living in Raleigh, I, I have a little bit better opportunity to see what's going on. But uh, during non-periods where you are not in session, uh, periods where you're not in session, there's a lot of work going on in uh, at the General Assembly building almost year round. Uh, and so much of the work is done in committees and special commissions. And that that's always been sort of surprising to me. And when I talk to other people from across the state who don't live in Raleigh, they're surprised to know how much of that's going on. They are. Uh, when we adjourn this session, we'll go right into oversight committees and you'll have House Select Oversight Committees, joint committees where we meet together with the Senate. And uh, any time um, of the week, you can go up there and see a committee meeting, see folks working. Uh, the, the state budget process uh, just doesn't start while we're in session. It's one that has continued uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, we have staff uh, inside and outside the building working on that. I like to tell people I have three full-time jobs. I have my real job that pays the bills to keep the lights on. Uh, I have my legislative job. And then once we take the legislative hat off, I have to go into full-time campaigning across the state for everybody else. So um, so it's definitely a labor of love, but 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 it's one that, um, that, that has really – um, it, it's truly amazing to watch it unfold, and I'm proud to be a very small part of it. John, one of the things that's come into the news recently that uh, has been bouncing around for a long time now, but it's finally hit the point where it's happening, and that's this issue of name, image, and likeness for amateur athletics, uh, and particularly for co- collegiate athletic athletes. Uh, it's both a federal issue, it's a state issue, it's an NCAA issue, it's a college issue, um, and uh, we're certainly in uncertain grounds here. What, what, what is your view, and, and, and what do you see that the General Assembly needs to do to make this as uh, effective as it can possibly be? Well, we all kind of knew it was out there. We just didn't know when and, and, and where and, and what it was going to be once the courts decided. And, of course, uh, about two weeks ago, the United States Supreme Court made their ruling. And uh, so we're still trying to get our get our heads around it. Uh, here it is. You know, we've got this new ruling. We've got um, major uh, institutions here in North Carolina. This is going to affect. We, we, we need to, to sit down and, and start the process of, of unraveling the, the decision and seeing – 
um, what we can make up the, the, the different opinions and how we need to navigate through that moving forward. I know my good friend in the Senate, Senator uh, Jim Perry, is working on a bill that I think will be put forward in the next couple of weeks to, to, to start the process on that. So it, it's going to be new and uncharted territory for the General Assembly and, and not just North Carolina, but also 49 other states are going to be in the same boat we are. Well, it's, it's uh, you know, if you look at the way that uh, other students have had the opportunity to earn money uh, outside of uh, their academics, uh, you look at it and say, well, you know, a football player, one that's on scholarship, works all the time at staying in condition and going to spring training and, and training, of course, goes on all year long. They don't have the opportunity to have a job. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's tough on the athlete not to have some extra money. On the other well, hand. And, and a lot of these um, student athletes, um, a lot of them come from from poverty or challenged backgrounds, yeah. And yeah. so they're 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 going to Raleigh, where or Raleigh or Chapel Hill or or Durham or, or Charlotte or Wilmington, uh, and and these aren't cheap places to live. And uh, you know the universities do all they can, and uh, and you know um, is is definitely a, a a conversation that I'm glad we're having, and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But uh, you know some of these folks, you know, were. In the past, the argument was, is, is they're getting a free education, and, and, and that's great. I'm, I'm happy for them, but they also have to be able to, to, to live. Yeah. Well, there's, there's definitely two sides to every issue of name, image, and likeness. And, uh, of course, you've got to look at it from a coach's point of view. All of a sudden, some of their players are going to be getting more money than others, and that's, that's a problem. There's all sorts of problems. We can list the problems. Now, it's going to be up to It's just one right? of these issues that if you'd have told me 10 years ago, hey, you're going to be dealing with this in Raleigh, uh, I would have said, yeah, probably not. But uh, it's one of those issues now that, uh, that looks like we're going to be having to address on how we handle this in the state of North Carolina. And we're going to work with our, 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 our coaches, but also our university officials and our board of governors to figure out the best way forward here in North Carolina. John, the military is another uh, interesting thing because North Carolina is blessed with so much uh, military spending from the federal government. We're a key state as far as the military. Uh, so, And you, of course, represent in your district. You've got some real, uh, some very uh, uh, real concerns about how the military is funded both on the state level and the federal level. Tell us a little bit about what the state does with regards to the military and, and, and legislation that the state might need to pass or has passed that is key to the continuation of the military in North Carolina. Well, first, I'm going to put a plug in for, for, for my hometown. If you've never had the experience of um, eating really good Eastern North Carolina barbecue and watching the F-15 land over top of your head, uh, it's definitely an experience you should you should do. We've got McCall's and and, and, and Wilbur's on the, the edge of the flight line there at Seymour Johnson. You can sit there and have you a good meal and watch F-15s um, come in. And of course, we've got the new generation refueling tankers sitting there as well. And they're the uh, new re re refueling tankers that go out and refuel the planes as they're on their combat missions and training. So we're very proud of the fourth fighter wing that's uh, stationed right here at Seymour Johnson in Goldsboro. Uh, North Carolina prides itself on being the most military friendly state in the country. And we've had to really work hard to get that distinction, but also back it up as long as, uh, as, as well as other states are working towards to be the most military friendly state as well. Um, first of all, a number of years ago, you saw the, the, the recreation of the North Carolina Military Affairs Committee. 
And what we want to do there is make sure that our, our bases and our military personnel actually had folks that were advocating for them, not just in the state legislature, but also in local local city government and county government, but also in Washington. And, uh, and, and so you've seen a real push there to play uh, offense on protecting our military bases and, and recruiting and trying to retain military missions to come to North Carolina instead of playing defense, which is frankly what we did for a number of years. Uh, you've seen legislation that's gone through the General Assembly over the years that's really pro-veteran and pro-military, uh, waiving of fees, licensure requirements. That way, when when a, um, a spouse is uh, PCSDN or, or transferred, uh, transferred to a base here in North Carolina, if they have a teaching certificate or a professional certificate, we want to be able to transfer those so those folks can go directly into the workforce here. And, and this year, Representative John Zoka, I was proud to be one of the primary sponsors of the bill, but Representative John Zoka put forth um, really the, the, the final checkoff that we needed to, to prove and proudly say that North Carolina is a most military-friendly state, and that's the tax deduction for military retirement. And um, that bill passed the House um, just a few weeks ago. It's going to be part of our, um, hopefully, our, our tax package and negotiations moving through. But if we can um, forgive that, that that retirement, make it not taxable for our military personnel to retire here in North Carolina, not only are we going to be the most military-friendly state, but we'll be the most military, well, veteran-friendly state because a lot of those veterans will choose to retire here, set up businesses here, work here, and raise their families here. And so everything that, that we do um, to support our, our, our military and active-duty um, folks here in North Carolina is, is a top priority in the House of Representatives. Well, North Carolina, certainly, of course, with Fort Bragg and, and the other military institutions, along with Seymour Johnson, as you pointed out, uh, are blessed to have uh, the military with us. And as you also pointed out, it's delightful when these people retire because it makes such great citizens. It's really shocking when you go and look at the impact that our military and veterans have on, on the state of North Carolina. Uh, agriculture is, of course, our largest economic impact by far. But number two is our military and our veterans. And so that is, it's the second largest economic impact here in our state. Somewhere around 80 of our 100 counties have some type of military operation there, whether it's an active duty base or reservist base like Seymour Johnson. Uh, you've got Fort Bragg, Cherry Point. Uh, you've got Coast Guard stations. Uh, you, you, you've got our, our, our reservist units spread out across the state and our National Guard. So North Carolina has a very large military footprint, and we're very proud um, of these veterans, um, not just for their service, but, but having them called North Carolina home. And they also learned that barbecue is a noun instead of a verb. <laughs> that, that is correct. That is correct. I've always, it's always bothered me when you talk to people from the North, they think barbecue is a verb. We're going to, have, we're going to barbecue tonight. <laughs> no, going to, no, sir. Going to no, sir. Of course, here, as we've seen in the past, um, you know, not not understanding barbecue or, 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 or picking an Eastern or a Western style could actually make or break your political career. But uh, we take our barbecue serious right here in North Carolina. Well, I'm one of these uh, these people who ha I happen to love Lexington barbecue. I happen to love Eastern barbecue. I love Shelby barbecue. And there's nothing as good as R.O.'s sauce out of Gastonia, North Carolina, and R.O.'s barbecue. So, uh, well. Well, I'm an Eastern North Carolina guy, and I support Eastern North Carolina barbecue. But uh, if I'm invited to go eat barbecue anywhere in the state of North Carolina, I will gladly take folks up on that opportunity. Well, it's uh, one of the things we're, uh, we should be proud of because it is an institution that is uh, 
uh, made us all happy. And we do have a lot of fun arguing about which one's the best. And, uh, uh, of course, occasionally you run into some strange guy like me that just happens to like it all. And uh, <laughs> that's good, too. Um, our, our guest is John Bell. He's the House Majority Leader. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the budget. We want to get John's view on Medicaid expansion. That's a, 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 a matter that uh, is being discussed. And we also want to talk about redistricting and when that's going to occur. And we'll also talk about some of the other issues that John works with on the various committees that he's working with. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Carolina Newsmakers is back on the air. Our guest is the uh, House Majority Leader, John Bell. John, of course, lives in Goldsboro, North Carolina, represents District 10. He's a native of Mount Olive, which is nearby, of course, Goldsboro, a graduate of North Duplin High School and uh, UNC Wilmington, with a bachelor's degree in criminal justice and sociology. And uh, we, I, I could probably, I ought to be able to make some kind of a joke out of that, being that you're in the General Assembly, but it just doesn't come to mind right now. It wouldn't be fair anyway. <laughs> John, uh, one of the things that uh, there's been a lot of discussion, not only this term, but in previous terms, is this issue of Medicaid expansion. A number of states have uh, signed on. A number of states has it, haven't uh, agreed to it yet. Uh, it's, it's an issue, as we were talking about in between breaks, it's got some pluses and it's got some minuses. Uh, and uh, it's, I'm sure it's uh, difficult for the members of the General Assembly to look at this issue and decide which way to go. Yeah, it's it's one of those issues. It's not just a Republican or Democrat issue. Um, it, it, it crosses all party lines. It crosses, you know, whether you're conservative, liberal, et cetera, it crosses all lines because everybody wants to do what they can do to make sure that North Carolina has a healthy population. Uh, the state of North Carolina, uh, at this point in time, has chosen not to expand Medicaid, and I agree with that decision. If you look at what's happened in, in other states, you've seen um, major shortfalls uh, in, in the billions of dollars and hundreds of millions of dollars, which have crippled state budgets um, and, and have, have added, um, well, frankly, 
a lot of undue cost and fraud and abuse in the system. And in North Carolina, we work really hard to, to clean up our, our, our Medicaid roles. We wanted people to um, that need to help to get the help. But, um, but we had a, a large problem with um, fraud, waste, and abuse. And that's why our state is pushed forward with um, Medicaid transformation, which is starting to take effect right now as we speak. And hopefully that's going to crack down on cost overruns, but also the waste, fraud, and abuse and uh, allow people to get the help they need. Uh, North Carolina overall, when you look at what is offered on, on, on the Medicaid rolls, North Carolina is very lenient and, and actually has a lot of coverages that most states do not. And so we're, we're, we're very friendly when it comes to Medicaid uh, and, and when, what it does cover. Uh, also on, on the Medicaid side, you, you've got to look at uh, our, our overview of um, is um, access to care. And, and that's where, in my opinion, the conversation really comes down. You know, you, you've got excellent facilities there in, in Wake County, uh, in Orange County, in Mecklenburg County. But what about the people in Pamlico County? What about the people in Jones County? How do we recruit and retain medical personnel and providers to come to our rural areas because uh, those folks, you know, need, need to take the same coverage and access to that care. And so you've seen the General Assembly uh, step up and expand access to telehealth uh, to allow people to, to be able to, to talk with uh, um, professionals, uh, to, to talk with their, their providers. Um, and that's another reason why we are making a big push to expand broadband and connectivity so those folks can have that care right, right in their home. Um, you've also seen a big push, and it was mentioned in the state budget, and it's going to be in the House budget, uh, the expansion of the Brody School of Medicine here at East Carolina and Eastern North Carolina. Uh, that would allow more providers to, to, to join the medical profession with a lot of those staying right here in rural North Carolina. And that's the approach that we, we have to take on, on uh, recruiting and retaining providers to come into our rural areas and, so, and our urban areas. To, to get the best and brightest to that graduate from uh, the Brody School of Medicine or Carolina or Duke or Winston-Salem to stay in our state and, and figure out ways to affordably cover healthcare calls for folks that, that, that need it. And for our, our, our working class folks, the folks that are paying for their health insurance, we need to provide them opportunities and options that are affordable so it doesn't bake, break the bank. John, almost everywhere you go these days, you see signs that say now hiring. And I was in Moorhead City this week and a number of restaurants were actually closed on a, a day because they didn't have enough help, couldn't get enough help. Um, the uh, uh, federal government, of course, was has been generous with uh, supporting those who theoretically were out of work but uh, it may be working against us. What, what's the solution to this? Because we've got, and of course we have a trouble, uh, we're having trouble with our supply chains. We don't have enough truck drivers. I passed a, a truck that said, don't you want to drive a truck? Uh, so we've got a lot of uh, jobs that are open. Uh, how are we going to get this, uh, this supply chain reopened and how are we going to find enough workers to fill all these jobs? Well, we've got to get people back to work, and that's first and foremost a, a, a way to solve the problem. Uh, we put forth a bill that um, that the governor vetoed that eliminated the, the extra $300. I think the average um, unemployment claim on the state side is, is about $220 here in North Carolina a week. You add the additional $300, uh, people are making over $500 a week um, not working. And frankly, they 
they're not forced to go out and, and, and try to find a job. And so, so j- just on my travel to Raleigh and, uh, you know, you can go through on Highway 70 there at Wilson Mills. And if you look at the intersection, you've got the family dollar that's got job, you know, hiring signs on the door. You've got the handy mark that's got hiring signs on the door. White Swan Barbecue has hiring signs on the door. Then you've got the digital billboard that's got three or four ads running to hire people. And then you've got a company that's placed yard signs out. In the, and that's just one intersection here in North Carolina. It's like that all throughout the state. Uh, we, we were talking about barbecue earlier, and uh, one of my favorite barbecue places, Adams Roadside Barbecue, has an Adams downtown barbecue location and announced just last week due to supply chain issues and lack of uh, labor, they're going to have to close their doors. And that's sad because you have uh, a lot of businesses like this really trying to make it. Uh, they came through the pandemic, and now we can't find people to go to work. And it's not just in the restaurant and hospitality industry. It's also an industry overall uh, when you look at a lot of our process and plants, um, so some of our companies in the state are 200 or 300 employees short. And, and these aren't just just random jobs. They're actually really good jobs. A lot of careers are open. Uh, our construction industry needs people. Truck industry needs people. Um, medical personnel needs people. Uh, every industry in our state is, uh, has been touched by this, and it's a major problem. And I hope that we're able to 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 override the, the governor's decision to veto this. Uh, it would take uh, 30 days for 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 the, the federal benefits to cease once we pass this legislation. And if we're unsuccessful in passing it, uh, I hope the federal government does not extend it come September because it's a major issue uh, all all across our state and all across the country, apparently as well. So I think we've got some other states that would join us in this effort and. We'll just have to see how that works out. But it is a shame for those who have already suffered to continue to suffer simply because they just can't hire enough uh, employees. Well, and uh, I would encourage all, all, all your people, all your folks listening that, you know, there, there's jobs available all throughout the state and, uh, and, and great paying jobs, companies offering bonuses uh, to, to come work. And so if they're looking for a job, please, um, please get out and, and, and find the right job for you because there's a lot of available right now. Now, you live in a very interesting place because you're so, you're close enough to the triangle that you can see the growth and expansion that's going on in those areas, and yet a couple of the counties that you represent, Green and and uh, well, Green particularly, and and to some degree the uh, eastern part of Wayne, Wayne County, uh, is basically very rural. And of course, uh, we've got some what 75 counties that are either flat in population or maybe even decreasing, where we got 20 or 25 counties. They're growing just as fast as they can. Uh, how do we handle this? And how do you guys in the General Assembly uh, uh, ha- handle it? Because growth is wonderful, but then the, uh, the problems that the, uh, say, the areas that are not growing are also significant. Well, well, I like to talk about strategic growth. And, and I, I live on the western side of Wayne County, and we're already seeing the, the overflow from, from Wake County in, into the northern and western part of Wayne County. And um, but we, we have to have responsible growth. Uh, and these, these are conversations I've had, not just with city officials and county officials here, but also with, with, with our friends in the city of Raleigh. Uh, you know, I, I want them to be successful, and, and they want to grow, and they want us to succeed as well. But, um, but when they grow and clear trees and build houses and roads and neighborhoods, um, that water runs off and, 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 and comes downstream. And I happen to be downstream. 
And, and so, <laughs> so, so we have to look at some of the strategic initiatives on how we grow responsible um, and, and have balanced growth in some of these areas so everybody's on top of each other. Um, the, the, the other thing that, that, that we need to do, and you're seeing it unfold right now, and you're going to see it unfold with the state budget, is really invest in our infrastructure. A lot, and when we talk about infrastructure, we're talking water and sewer uh, connectivity. A lot, a lot of our, our water and sewer and um, treatment plants and pipes and, and lines were put down in the 40s and 50s, and some have been um, band-aided over the years to, to maintain. But but this is an opportunity with the ARP funds and the CARES Act funding and the surplus we have in the state budget to really take a, a really big step into making sure our infrastructure is sustainable for the next 40 and 50 years. And, I, and if we're able to do that one, uh, along with, with planning for, for, for growth, even in our rural areas, it's going to be a, um, a, a, a really productive and inviting um, thing for our state to do. Uh, we do have people moving in here. Uh, Johnston County, where, uh, where I represent, and the county right next door to my home county, is the second fastest growing county in the state. Uh, you know, we're, we're watching people leave uh, some of our um, – uh, more urban areas and move to rural areas. Uh, real estate market is hot everywhere in, the, in, in in our state right now. You can't look at a county real estate listing and see multiple houses for sale because they're getting gobbled up left and right. And, and, and it's a good problem to have to be a growing and prosperous state. We just have to have responsible growth in, in, in the right areas. Well, a lot of folks will say, you know, we, we don't do enough to attract jobs. Well, obviously, we're doing a great job in the areas that are growing. Uh, but it's very difficult to attract uh, uh, plants and uh, industry to move to the more rural areas uh, because they have trouble finding employees. Um, so that, that's not as easily said as done. But broadband may be one of the big solutions there. Well, and what you've seen uh, is actually, um, I, I've looked into this a little bit, but I've seen a lot of small towns and, and not just uh, rural North Carolina, but other rural parts of the country saying, uh, you know, trying to recruit people to their area and say, hey, we'll give you a, a tax break if you buy a house in the area and, and stay for three years. Uh, we know a lot of people now are working remotely and, and they're working from home. And so they're trying to recruit people to say, hey, come to a slower pace of life and still keep your higher paying job and, and, and move to, to, to the rural, rural, rural country USA. And um, it, it's, it's been pretty remarkable the folks that are leaving the larger cities and coming into rural areas because they're able to work remote. Um, the only way we can offer those opportunities to these people is to make sure that we have the broadband connectivity all throughout our state. And so, so you can live on the waterfront in little Washington, but, 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 but be zoomed into your office in Charlotte. And, uh, and so we're, we're putting forth a major effort to do that as well. Well, the growth, I, I've just uh, toured some areas in, in and around Beaufort that are growing just, like exactly the same way you're describing is people that are deciding that they can live in Beaufort or Moorhead city, Atlantic beach, those areas and work, uh, remotely zoom. And, uh, that sort of thing is something that we've learned that it's been, I guess, uh, one of the uh, good things of COVID-19 we're cutting out a lot of business travel that uh, we're finding out maybe never was necessary in the first place. Well, I, I never thought I'd be on so many zooms in my life. Uh, you know, we have, uh, I went from wanting to meet in person to now it seems like we're on a Zoom call every week. And, uh, you know, um, it, it's amazing how connected we are um, by being apart. Well, we're doing this interview by Zoom. And uh, 
uh, you know, it's a time of convenience to those who are on the program. They don't have to drive to the radio station. They don't have to drive back. So it's a great convenience. And uh, then uh, they don't have to put it with all my conversation before and after the program. Right? That's <laughs> well, probably the that's well, probably Those are great conversations. And uh, I tell you, the uh, ability for, um, you know, to, to, to see technology unfold uh, right before our eyes is it's something pretty awesome to watch. We've got one more segment to, to spend with Representative John Bell. And in that, we want to talk about the problems and the charge that the General Assembly will have to redistrict our state, to create that new congressional district, and the other redistricting is a part of it, and also the other legislation that is yet to come out of this session of the General Assembly. So we'll be back right after these messages with Representative John Bell here on Carolina Newsmakers. You stay tuned. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo GOAT, G-O-A-T Acronym Stands for Greatest of All Time As in Spaghetti Sandwiches for Dinner They're my fave Dad, you're the GOAT You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same Visit AdoptUSKids.org Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Adopt U.S. Kids and the Ad Council Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Representative John Bell is our guest. Uh, another reminder about uh, this program, a number of stations carry the full hour broadcast, uh, and then we have some stations that carry two segments of the broadcast in a half-hour version. If you happen to be listening to one of the radio stations that carries only the two segments, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the other two segments. Or uh, you can listen to the entire broadcast or share it with a friend. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. Our guest this week is uh, Representative John Bell, who is the House Majority Leader. He represents uh, uh, Green, Johnson, and Wayne County. He's in his fifth term, and we've uh, talked about all sorts of good things so far. Uh, One of the big issues that the General Assembly will have, uh, and as far as I know, I, I don't believe there's been a great deal of work done on it yet, and that's this matter of redistricting, because because of, uh, in addition to the other concerns of redistricting, North Carolina will add a 14th congressional district, and that gives us a little bit more clout on the on the national level. So, John, when when will you begin working on the matter of redistricting, and how will that be handled? Well, we um, of course every 10 years we're we're um, duly told and, and constitutionally mandated that, that we redistrict and. 
unfortunately, in North Carolina, we seem like we've been redistricting every year. Uh, over the last 10 years, we've been <laughs> yeah. out of court with, with different cases. But, um, but th this is the year after the census that we do redistrict. Uh, we've been told because of the pandemic that um, the, the data for the redistricting has been delayed. And we should expect that sometime at the end of September. And so, so you'll see us uh, hopefully adjourn session um, with the state budget signed. And we will come back to a special redistricting session is what I'm thinking will happen probably the first couple of weeks in October. And during that time, we will take up um, redistricting for our congressional uh, districts and also our state house and Senate districts. Uh, you did see a bill move through the General Assembly uh, to address the concern that a lot of our municipalities were having because um, uh, because of the delay in census data because due to the pandemic, we had to pass legislation to delay um, elections in a, a lot of our municipalities that, that would have had it this year. And so we work with our municipalities and, and, and the, the Board of Elections and um, and, and try to uh, establish a um, to try to establish a way that we could um, help them navigate through this because they didn't know whether to have elections, not have elections, uh, or, or what to do. So um, that bill passed the House. But the overall redistricting, uh, you will see that unfold in October. It will be a lengthy process. Uh, and that's about all I'm going to say, like, like I've joked before, and uh, but, but it's serious. Um, we don't talk about redistricting because, um, one, we don't know what's going to happen or how it's going to play out. And, and, and frankly, anytime you talk about redistricting and have no clue what you're talking about, you you find yourself in a on a court stand having to having to testify in a redistricting case. So so I, so I'd rather not do that. And uh, and uh, so 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 we'll let redistricting play out in October in front of the general public like we've done for many years. Well, I certainly understand that. Let me ask you one question: because it's occurring so late, do you think there's a, a process a prospect that the general that the primary election will be delayed somewhat, in North Carolina? We hope them. not. Um, yeah. we, we're, we're hoping to get that data as quick as possible and do everything we can do to to to, to move forward with the district process quickly, swiftly, and fairly, and uh, make it as transparent as possible. So our hope is that um, you know we, we would not have to delay redistricting. Uh, excuse me, um, de delay elections, and that's our plan right now. Another issue that's uh, come to light, you know, we have all sorts of sort of sports-related things this year. We mentioned earlier in the program the name, image, and likeness situation that the uh, college athletics and amateur athletes in general are, uh, uh, those who are involved with that are facing. But we also have this issue of sports betting, which has uh, come to the front. Uh, how's North Carolina going to address that issue? Um, it, it's being worked on in the General Assembly. We, we you know, I, I've joked with some of our my, my lobbying friends and said this is the lobbyist employment act of, of, of this session. Uh, you've got the, the the VOTs and the gaming and uh, and, and how we navigate through sweepstakes and and DraftKings and FanDuel and then you've got sports betting and we've had um, all all sorts of um, celebrities come through the General Assembly with the Carolina Hurricanes, the Charlotte Hornets, the um, uh, the, the Carolina Panthers, the, the PGA, uh, NASCAR, everyone's interested in how we do this. So, so we've got a uh, massive stakeholder process going on, and uh, hopefully we'll have some legislation roll out by the end of the um, – I was looking at the list of committees and commissions that you're on. One is called Legislative Research Commission. What does that commission do? Um I am on every committee in, in the house. And so, <laughs> so the, the speaker uh, 
as putting on every community in the house. And when we look at the legislative research committee, it, it is how we navigate through the um, the research process and bringing bills and, and, and issues and uh, situations that are in our state forward. And so um, I'm proud to serve on that committee and, and you'll see that committee um, really get active when we're out of session. John, you know, we have what is called the rainy day fund in North Carolina and it's because it's basically been used for weather-related uh, situations, uh, most people think it the rainy day part refers to hurricanes and other disasters of that type. But it, uh, uh, interestingly enough, it's, it's to cover any downfalls in the economy. But this year, you're not going to have to tap it. As a matter of fact, you're going to be able to add to it. So how much money do you think you will be able to add to that rainy day fund that uh, really makes uh, the future of state government much more secure and safe. Well, we like to keep it around at two billion mark, and uh, of course, we have to 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 put back some money we used. Uh, you know, I want your listeners to, to know that um, we had two thousand year storms hit uh, Hurricane Florence and Hurricane Matthew at the same time. We had uh, Hurricane uh, Michael, which turned into Tropical Storm Michael by the time it got to us. At the same time, we were dealing with uh, Hurricane Florence. Western North Carolina was on fire. Uh, and, and then we had snow and ice situations. So a lot of the rain day reserve goes and help those natural disasters. But also, it's a safety net that we were, that, that we were going to have to tap into if we were dealing with a, um, a, a, a downfall in, in the economy and a shortfall in our budget. So, so it's a nice little safety net to have. Uh, it's proven to be very useful and it's protected our state. John, we, uh, I know you come from Mount Olive, and of course Mount Olive is not only famous for uh, the college that's there, but also for Mount Olive Pickle Company. Uh, and we haven't touched too much on agriculture. What's happening in the terms of legislation that will affect the farmers and the uh, whole agricultural industry in North Carolina? Well, we, um, you know, agriculture is our, our largest economic impact here in the state. Uh, Commissioner Troxler's goal is, is to get it over a $100 billion economic impact to our state, and we're well on our way to do that. Um, we just had the Farm Bill come through the, the General Assembly, which, which has some provisions there that would be beneficial to our farmers and, and looking at how we can, can use um, some of the biogas and pipelines to, for our hog farmers. And that was signed by the governor last week and, and became law. And so it's been a good session for our agriculture uh, industry at this point in time. Uh, hopefully, we will um, not have any, it's, it's kind of interesting that we're sitting here during having this discussion while we've got a tropical storm Elsa going on, but I hope we won't have any droughts or any, any major crop damage in our near future. And our farmers can actually, uh, our row crop farmers can, uh, can, can have a sigh of release and have a good crop this year. Um, with the, um, the, the big, a big concern that we do have on the agriculture front is the supply chain issues that we're seeing with our process facilities. There's, uh, I, I talked to one company just last week that had 200 job openings with their processing. Uh, I talked to a family friend that, that's in the processing business and they have job openings. And so uh, ramping up those, those supply chains um, and, and, and make sure that uh, we feed a hungry world is, is key to our success, not just uh, in North Carolina, but all throughout the world. And uh, hopefully we can get the pandemic behind us. We can get the, um, the, the, the folks back to work and we can have a successful year for agriculture here in our state. Well, John alluded to the fact that we're uh, pre-recording this program, and so we are recording it on the day that the, the rains came, so to speak. 
Uh, and then uh, you mentioned the fact that uh, the rain is a real concern. I was talking to Commissioner Troxler, and he said, you know, too much rain is uh, something we can't handle. We can handle drought easier than we can handle too much rain. So it is an issue for the farmer when we have as much rain as we've had. It, it, it is, and, and the corn crops and tobacco crops and soybean crops look beautiful right now. Um, but if this rain continues, uh, they, they will start drowning, and that becomes a, a, a major issue uh, here in the state. It's, it's one of the industries that you, uh, you know, it's, it's a very unique industry. Not only is it um, the industry that, that feeds our world, but it's one to where you, if you're a row crop farmer, you, you, you plant a seed in the ground and, and hope it doesn't rain too much or, or, or hope it doesn't stay too dry. And you, and you hope and pray to the good Lord that you have a good crop. COVID-19 issues still remain. We still don't have, uh, we're still lagging behind in the number of people who are vaccinated. What uh, do you see happening there? Anything that uh, we can do to push those numbers up? You know, the, the governor put forth a, a plan with, with the lottery. I, I was not in favor of that, but didn't have a say-so in it. Uh, he, he's trying to put initiatives out there. Uh, you're, you're seeing the, the Biden administration do that as well from the federal level. Um, vaccines are available to people that want it. And uh, if you want to get vaccinated, you have that opportunity. And I, I believe it's a personal choice. And I, I hope people um, make, make their choice, which is in the best interest of, them, of themselves and their family. I'm going to ask you an all-purpose question here. Uh, uh, legislation that is still uh, pending that uh, might affect the citizens of North Carolina that I haven't uh, had enough sense to ask the question about. So, what's still so one, remaining on your docket? One that I'm very proud of is uh, as North Carolina um, has has passed in, in the law a um, basically is it's an access to care issue that benefits uh, our friends and family with, with autism throughout the state. It, it allows providers to come into our state and, and help support our friends with, with autism, and that was signed into law about a month ago, and that was a uh, a, a ten year project bill that's been worked on by many stakeholders and uh, including my, my, my good friend, Senator Jim Perry, and my other good friend, Senator Chuck McGrady, who led the charge for many years. And so I was glad to set a sign in the law. Uh, one of the big issues I'm working on is um, flood mitigation. Uh, here it is where we're, we've talked about agriculture. We've talked about the, um, the, the tropical storm that's coming through. Uh, and but we've had major flooding issues, not just in eastern North Carolina, um, but also throughout the state. And so we're looking at Investing some of the surplus money into projects, whether it's repairing dams and from rebuilding and cleaning up creeks and rivers and streams throughout our state. And so you'll see that roll out in the next couple of weeks. Uh, another issue that we're working on, which uh, has gotten a lot better in our state, but it's something as simple as trash. Uh, our state got really trashy with uh, trash all over the sides of the road. And um, I'm very proud of the work that we've put in with uh, Secretary Boyette and the Department of Transportation, but we're cleaning up our our state. And so those are issues that you're going to see moving forward here in the next couple of weeks. You've left me with just the proper amount of time to thank you very much, Representative John Bell, for sharing your views and thoughts with us, and bringing us up to date on what's happening in the General Assembly. The program has been produced by Jason Kong, and we'll be back next week with another interesting guest from the same group of stations all across North Carolina. So until next week, same time, same station. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. 
Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.